The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. We're kind of spread out. If people would like to move in, that would be nice. <coughs> oh, no. <laughs> we'll try to make it cozy. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) So tonight is our second night in this three-part series talking about the refuges, taking refuge. And last week we talked a bit about what it means to take refuge and all the different ways that we have throughout our life of taking refuge, some of which we realize we're taking refuge, and very often we don't realize that's what we're doing. All of those ways we talked about are impermanent. (laughs) They don't last. That doesn't mean they're bad, doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, but we must realize that they are limited. That they may give momentary or temporary relief, refuge, but they are not lasting. So from the Dhammapada, And this is Gill's translation. The Buddha suggests people threatened by fear go to many refuges, to mountains, forests, parks, trees, and shrines. None of these is a secure refuge. None is a supreme refuge. Not by going to such a refuge is one released from all suffering. But when someone going for refuge to the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha sees with right insight the Four Noble Truths, suffering, the arising of suffering, the overcoming of suffering, and the Eightfold Path leading to the end of suffering, then this is the secure refuge. This is the supreme refuge. By going to such a refuge, one is released from all suffering. So it's important to remember that going for refuge, even in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, doesn't mean that nothing will happen, that we'll be perfectly happy and safe and secure all of our lives. That's not the nature of life, the nature of reality. But it does mean that we will be able to face 
whatever comes our way. So that can be a big difference. Sometimes we think that taking refuge means that nothing will ever happen to us. We'll be perfectly okay from here on out. But that's a false assumption because life is full of trials, difficulties, disappointments, loss, pain. And the Buddha was not suggesting that these things wouldn't happen, that we wouldn't grow old, get sick, and die. (laughs) We will. That's a given. But when we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, then we'll be able to face and to handle whatever life brings to us. We, We have the tools We have the wisdom, we have the presence to be with whatever difficulty may come into our lives. Even if it seems at times that it's overwhelming. Taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha helps us to access and to realize the inner strength that is always there. But sometimes we forget. Sometimes we don't realize that inner strength. And it's actually the difficulties in life that put us in touch with that inner strength. So we talk about, we can talk about refuge both internally and externally. Tonight we're going to talk mostly about external refuge. That is taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Those are external, they're outside of ourselves. Next week we'll focus more on the internal taking refuge within ourselves, the Buddha within, the Dharma within, the Sangha within. But it's good to realize that there is both. A book I'm going to suggest is True Refuge by Tara Brock. Tara Brock is a teacher in the D.C. area, And her first book was Radical Acceptance, also excellent. And this one is True Refuge. And she talks a lot about taking refuge within ourselves. She uses the term um, awareness for the Buddha, truth for the Dharma, and love for for the Sangha. When we talk about taking refuge in this tradition, we talk about the triple gem or the triple treasure. 
Again, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And I think I mentioned last week that we don't have many uh, rituals. We don't have any membership requirements. Somebody just asked me this the other night. Do we have any kind of membership? No. (laughs) We just show up. But taking the refuges is often a ceremony that, that we have as a way of acknowledging that we are accepting the Triple Gem as our guide, as our path. We are acknowledging that we have chosen this path because we see that it can lead us to awakeness, lead us to the freedom that we're searching for. So, we'll begin with the Buddha. How do we take refuge in the Buddha? We have the image right here. The Buddha is our inspiration. The Buddha was a human being just like us. And he determined to realize for himself, to understand the origin and the nature of human suffering. As you may know, the Buddha grew up in a very comfortable, wealthy family who had three palaces. And because um, his father did not want him to become enlightened or a great spiritual teacher, he kept him pretty secluded within the palaces. And so it wasn't until Siddhartha at that time was an adult, 28 or 9, that he ventured out and saw human suffering. What he saw was old age, sickness, and death, which we call the three heavenly messengers because they are the messengers that can wake us up, wake us up to practice. And when he saw these three and really got it, really understood that there was old age sickness and death, he was amazed, startled, and wanted to understand its origin and how it could be relieved. So he left the palace and 
went on a journey for six years, took off his fine clothes and donned robes, monk robes, and wandered and studied with six different teachers, all of whom were the great meditation masters of that time. And he found it very helpful, thought they were wonderful. And after a time, a year or so, he said, thank you very much, and left. Each time, he felt that he had learned a lot, he had gained a lot, but he had not unlocked for him the mystery, the understanding of human suffering, which was what he wanted to understand. And so finally, he sat down under the Bodhi tree and determined that he would not get up until he realized, until he saw for himself the origin and the end of human suffering. And so on the light, the night of his enlightenment, the Four Noble Truths, or the teachings that we have come to understand as the Four Noble Truths, showed him the origin and the ending of human suffering. So it's important for us to know that Siddhartha, the Buddha, was a human being and that he was able through his own diligence, his own uh, diligent practice, his own determination to realize for himself the truth, the truth not only of human suffering, but the reality of life. And this can be great inspiration for us, that we too can wake up in this very life. And I tell that story because it shows, it points to that to wake up is not simple or easy. It doesn't just happen because we want it to. But it takes great resolve and determination. It takes effort on our part. But we can do it, just as Siddhartha did We can do it also. When we take refuge in the Buddha, we are affirming belief in the possibility of becoming awake. We vow to spend our whole lives stripping away layer 
after layer of fear and doubt. So we can uncover the awakeness that has always been present. The awakeness that has always been present. Each time we open and let go of a personal need, wanting to get this, fearing to get that, we become less dependent on other people, things, and situations to make us happy. Our security comes from the breath. The breath moves and changes. Life moves and changes. So, we learn to face, to be with whatever comes our way. And that might be, and often is, fear, anxiety, doubt, many difficulties. We learn to face whatever it is, to accept it, to explore it, study it, to allow it, and allow it to release or dissipate. This takes courage. Many people are afraid <clears throat> to face the things that arise in their lives. Thinking that it's easier to turn away from them or to push on and not stop and be with whatever the challenge is. There's a wonderful saying by Hafiz, I think it is, um, I won't quote it exactly, but something about having squandered so many of the difficulties in my life by wanting just to hurry up and get through with them, you know, get, get beyond them, instead of opening to the possibilities within those difficulties. That's quite a radical concept, isn't it? Because we live in a culture that does not encourage that. Our culture encourages us to move on. (laughs) What's next? You know? And not just be with whatever difficulty arises. Or take a pill. Or take a pill, (laughs) yeah. Right. Anything to avoid the uncomfortableness. We're not supposed to allow ourselves to be uncomfortable. But in order to become free, we must. We must face what is most uncomfortable. We must step out of our comfort zone and see ourselves and life as honestly and completely as we can. You know the saying, the truth 
shall set you free. That's very much what this practice is about. That facing the truth, whatever it is, and however difficult it is, is what will help us to be free. And it's what Siddhartha, the Buddha, did on the night of his enlightenment when he was tempted by Mara. Mara, the temptress, or... um, Sometimes we refer to him as the Buddhist devil, the trickster. Mara tried tempting him with all kinds of games and tricks, including his daughters, and etc. And instead of telling Mara to go away or fighting against him, pushing him, away or embracing him the Buddha merely sat still and said Mara I see you and after a while Mara slunk away that's the power of seeing clearly and just acknowledging what we see, just acknowledging what is in fact true. So, what in our practice or who in our practice inspires us? For me, certainly it's been Gil. Gil has been my teacher for many, many years. And I know him somewhat well. (laughs) And he's always an inspiration to me. He's one of the most awake, equanimous people I know. And so it's wonderful to have that figure, that person, someone alive right now, (laughs) a real person, to be an inspiration for me and for my practice. Other friends in the Dharma, other practitioners, can be very inspirational. Sometimes friends that are not necessarily in this practice can be inspirational as well. They seem to be what we call old souls or just to have a knowing within them that allows them to face life with equanimity, with grace, with acceptance. And those people can be an inspiration. Our own suffering sometimes is the biggest inspiration. Sometimes it's our own suffering, whether we realize it or not, that brings us to practice or keeps us practicing. 
again this reading. Let us look deeper into the meaning of refuge. Buddha means awake. Taking refuge is a courageous step. We are taking refuge not in a man, but in our own potential to awaken. Taking refuge in the Buddha means that we are willing to do whatever it takes to reconnect with the awakeness that is already within us. There it is again. The awakeness that is already within us. Rather than running from our fears, we are willing to face them, to strip them away until nothing is left but the exposed heart. To awaken is to live with courage and balance from that soft, vulnerable spot. We talked last week about how sometimes people think that closing their hearts, never loving again, or never giving themselves again, keeps them safe. But in fact, it does not. It only hurts us. The more we close our hearts, the more painful it is for us. And the more we allow ourselves to open to the pain of loving, and there often is pain with loving, isn't there? To open to whatever life brings to us. This is the true refuge or the true safety that we find. So before I go on, are there any comments or questions about taking refuge in the Buddha? Okay. I'll speak about the Dharma. Sure. So when you spoke about taking refuge in the Buddha, you mentioned that um, Gil has been a source of inspiration mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you have any advice if we don't have that? Like, what, what else could represent taking refuge in, in the Buddha? Mm. Well, as I just read, taking refuge in the Buddha can mean taking refuge in our own potential to awaken. So understanding that, that we each, well, two things. One, that the awakeness is already there and that we, we can realize that. Then I would say, do you come here regularly? Yes, yeah, so are you saying that um, the fact that you have proximity with Gil 
is a reminder that you can take refuge in yourself because you're it, seeing that's right okay that's right that there's um there is someone uh, a human being alive um that is inspiration that lives life in a way that i would like to emulate and that is inspiring to me um it also sometimes if i'm upset or <laughs> caught in a hindrance or whatever i can ask myself what would gil do mm. what would gil say and it's not necessarily that i get a specific answer but it helps me to focus uh on an image that is inspiring to me for christians i think um christ is the inspiration so you know often you will hear the saying what would christ do what would jesus say and that's that's a way of focusing um to help us to see clearly what the next step is That's and else. i i would just uh, offer or suggest that that you keep your eyes and awareness open for people in the sangha teachers students um that you may find to be inspirational that you find or that you see are living the dharmic life. Okay, I understand what you are meaning. So it's really finding people that are embodying this as opposed to reading books that is helpful to you. Well, reading books can be helpful too, but <laughs> but yes. Yes. Mhm. Finding um finding others that are practicing that are maybe farther down the road than you or sometimes not even farther down <laughs> just somebody else that's practicing and practicing diligently can be inspiration okay thanks so the dharma the second of the triple gem what does it mean to take refuge in the dharma what does the dharma mean the dharma typically means the body of teachings of the buddha all the teachings um that the buddha put forth sometimes we refer to it as truth but it's not truth in the sense of dogma or a belief it's not something that you have to believe it is a way of seeing the truth a way of seen clearly so the buddha suggested to us that we not take any of his teachings on blind faith that we not just say oh okay you know i like i like him um i accept what he says 
but that we always check out the teachings for ourselves. And then and then only do we accept them. When we discover for ourselves that leading a skillful life leads to happiness and leading an unskillful life leads to unhappiness or suffering. Then we lead a skillful life because we have seen that that's what is effective. Then we practice with confidence. So we talk in this practice more about confidence than about faith. It's a type of faith, but it's a faith that comes from having tried and found out that something works. So the teachings of the Buddha, the first, of course, was the Four Noble Truths. So using the Four Noble Truths as a template, we might say, as a way of looking at our life, seeing the suffering, seeing the origin of that suffering, understanding that there can be an end to it, and then walking the path that can lead to the end of suffering. Studying. Studying the, the paramis, the ten paramis. Seeing the results of generosity and gratitude and non-harming. Understanding the seven factors of awakening. Understanding the three characteristics. Seeing what the teachings are pointing to. The teachings are our guide. They're not ends in themselves, as with some traditions. In this tradition, we see, we use the teachings as guides for us on our path to awakening. Understanding karma, the understanding that all of our actions matter. As Ruth Dennison said, that we don't get away with nothing. Not karma as it's commonly thrown out in the culture. This culture does not have a good understanding of karma. We so often use it as punishment, you know. He got his, so to speak. But understanding that karma, which means action, merely is the understanding that what we do matters. For good or ill, it matters. And that's pretty much everything. Our speech, our actions, 
and our thoughts. They all have consequences. They all matter. Seeing the reality of things as they are, not as we'd like them to be, not as we think they should be, but seeing things just exactly as they are. That can be challenging because we're so used to seeing things and understanding things with an overlay of our own perception or interpretation. And it's hard to get away from that. But we can at least see through it. (laughs) We can see that's just my interpretation. All of us have biases. All of us have conditioning. All of us see the world, see things through our own lens. The lens of our experience, the lens of our conditioning. But if we can see that that is just conditioning, that that's not the truth, that's not reality, that's our bias, then we don't get caught in that. We can see things more truly as they really are. The Dalai Lama says, tell them they can trust their hearts and awareness to awaken in the midst of all circumstances. So all of life is our teaching, is our practice. We can wake up in the midst of anything, whatever is going on in our lives, can be a source of awakening if We use it that way. So using the Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha, as a refuge, as a way of determining our actions, seeing things clearly so that we make clear decisions. And the third gem, or the third jewel, is the Sangha, taking refuge in the Sangha, the community of practitioners. At the time of the Buddha, The Sangha meant the monks and nuns that followed the Buddha, his followers, his disciples. And then the Buddha suggested that the teachings would not be complete, would not survive without the fourfold Sangha. The fourfold Sangha was the community of monks and nuns, Laymen and lay women. Sangha now, particularly here in the West, has come to represent or to mean any group of people that are practicing. So we can call ourselves a Sangha tonight. 
and were part of the larger Sangha of IMC. And we have a Sangha in San Jose. And there's another Sangha in Mountain View. And um, any, any group that comes together to study and practice the Dharma is a Sangha. And we can extend even that meaning to mean everyone in the world. Because, of course, we don't want to leave out anyone. So the bigger Sangha is everyone, not just Buddhist practitioners, but everyone. And as the Bodhisattva vow suggests, we want to save all beings. Now, I don't mean save in the way that um, the Christian tradition talks about save, but in the way that, that our practice is never just for ourselves, that we practice always for everyone, ourselves included, but for everyone as well. That's why when we do metta practice, we always include all living beings, all sentient beings. When we dedicate merit at the end of a day or a time of practice, we ask that any merit be for the benefit of all beings. So that our our aim, our practice, always includes everyone. So what does it mean to take refuge in the Sangha? Thich Nhat Hanh has suggested that the future Buddha, Maitreya, might be the Sangha. Interesting, huh? And the Dalai Lama has suggested that there may not be another Dalai Lama. How do we take refuge? We take refuge, in effect, in each other. We take refuge in the, the synergy, the strength, the support of all of us together, knowing that we're not on this path alone that there's a body of practitioners that support us. So in San Jose, once a month, we have a discussion. And generally, we follow a book. We go chapter by chapter. And somebody in the Sangha, a practitioner, volunteers to lead that discussion each month. And people find it extremely valuable Because then it's not just one person sitting here talking, but we get to hear from everybody. And when we hear from everybody, it's so rich. Because everybody has a slightly different understanding. Everybody sees things just a little bit differently. And it's not about agreeing or disagreeing. We don't don't do that. It's just about hearing how someone else sees it, 
how someone else practices it. And that is very supportive to all of us. We support each other when things happen in our lives. I also have a group in Morgan Hill, and for the past three months, for a small group of nine women, <laughs> we have, an in- have had an incredible number of things happen. A sudden death, um, a sudden brain tumor, somebody with Alzheimer's, somebody with Parkinson's, somebody with dementia that moved away. I mean, it's just been a lot for this small group um, to hold. But we have become so close and so supportive and the true meaning of Sangha. We are really there for each other. And everybody is so grateful for the support of everybody else. So sometimes we support each other emotionally, sometimes physically. Sometimes people need physical help, and we can do that as well. There's probably nothing more supportive than being present for each other. Just being together. I think that's been one of the strongest supports in Morgan Hill, that we come together every Monday evening and sit together, no matter what's been happening. And so we become a container for all that is going on. So I just want to add also that we are part of a larger world sangha of Buddhist practitioners. And you may know in Myanmar, Burma, right now, there is terrible fighting and abuse going on between Buddhists and Muslims. And I hate to say it, but the Buddhists are being awful. They're being extremely abusive to the Rohingya, who are literally refugees in their own country, sometimes afraid to go out. And so we have an obligation to the wider Sangha. And some of you may have seen, may have received, as I did, a, a letter of support and request for donations for these people in Myanmar, the Rohingya people. So that we feel the responsibility of the worldwide Sangha when there are Buddhists doing great atrocities in another country. That's the support of the Sangha. 
So it's almost nine o'clock. Um, I wonder if you have comments, questions. I'm really appreciating. Um, this overview of of a refuge that you're giving. And um, you're you've repeatedly you talk about seeing reality as as things are. And you mentioned for example, in the, the reading group, having the opportunity to, to hear the, the different uh, views of reality that have come to the other readers of that. And I, I wondered if you would just expand on, on that coming to reality because I guess my understanding of this is that we are so deeply embedded in in our points of view and worldviews and and the the structures that we enough. <laughs> we are indeed. <laughs> and and so the important thing is to see that. To see all the um views that we hold, um, to see the unchallenged beliefs, ideas that, that each of us carries. So that <laughs> we're not driven by them. And so that we can begin <laughs> to see things more clearly. To see, you know, something happens, um, and if there's five people standing around watching it, you'll get five different views. It's not about who's right or wrong. Each person has a view from their position. And hearing everybody's view helps us to see that our idea or belief is just our idea. It's not the truth. It's not reality. It's one piece of the truth. It's one, um, we're not denying our own experience. You know, we each have our own experience. But our experience is not the truth. Our experience is our experience. And oftentimes, many ways, there's not the truth. There are just happenings. And the more we can open to that, the more we can see that um, there's not a truth. There are many perspectives. And ours is one. Then the freer we are.
we're not tied to any one perception, any one belief, any one point of view, then we live more freely. You may have heard of the book Buddhism Without Beliefs by Stephen Batchelor. (laughs) Wonderful. I love the title. I like the book too. But a way of seeing that we don't have to hold on to any kind of belief. We can see things as they are without putting them in a box, without putting them in a belief system. Things are as they are. Does that help? Yes. I wonder if what what some of your favorite challenges to to the layers of your own uh, you know beliefs that seem transparent but aren't some of the ways that I'm conditioned that the way that you're deconditioning yourself the the ways that you have found valuable for perceiving oh wait a second this is simply a you know a fog here yeah yeah um sometimes it is just hearing other people's ideas you know oh yeah that's right other people see things very differently from me Um, remembering every time I uh, say I have an idea about somebody. You know, people that wear purple are... (laughs) whatever, (laughs) strong or free or... Oh, yeah, that's an idea. Um, Yeah, there are things all the time, every day, to remind me that whatever I'm thinking is my perception. is not the truth. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting when I say that, that there aren't skillful means <laughs> and that there aren't many um, uh, ways we want to practice. But that's different from the truth. And ultimately, the Buddha suggested that once we are awake, using the metaphor of of crossing the river, um, we set down the raft. We don't carry it along. The raft, i.e. the teachings, are a way to get us to the other shore. But once we get there, we don't carry the raft on our back. We set it down. We don't continue rituals and um, practices just for their sake. They're for the sake of waking us up, not for themselves. Okay. (laughs) It's a few minutes after, so we probably should stop. And if others of you have questions, um, I'm happy to stay for a bit. Thank you all.